Hey, Reach Church, welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message from our midweek service is with evangelist David Diga Hernandez. Speaking about spiritual warfare, it continues our series in my head. Enjoy this message. Well, God bless you this evening. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? Happy to be here with family. God bless you all. How many are ready to hear the word of God tonight? Well, always an honor and privilege to minister here. I do have to say hello. Can you all say hello? We're doing some cross-posting today. So we have what we call the spirit family, as we refer to our viewers and friends. Um, Over on our channel, we have the viewers from Encounter TV watching. Can we just say hello to all of our ETV viewers? God bless you all. And hello to all you watching on the church's live stream. I can see some of the comments coming in over there. Uh, Jonathan Bryant. I see Pam Mays. Alina Johnson. Sonia Rose Lyles. A lot of the regulars. Good to see you all. And a lot of new ones. Whether you're watching this on Encounter TV or the church's YouTube channel, make sure you're subscribed. And click that notification bell. When you subscribe, you'll be surprised at how helpful that feature actually is. Now, tonight we have, um, of course, as usual, I want to honor my brother, Mr. Stephen Moctezuma. Appreciate everything he does. Always, always, always there. Love it. Now we have here today as well, um, this is our friend Ismael. He wants me to say it all. <laughs> all cultural. I'm all cultured. That's our Hispanic culture. I, 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 I am third, fourth generation Hispanic, but I, I don't have the, like the, the R role or the pronunciation. So, but I can pray in tongues. So he is here tonight. And this is a keyboard player who works with us and works on Steve's worship team. Actually, um, on July 1st, technically now, but, but July 1st is the first official start date. He's with us full time now on the ministry team. So happy to have you here, my friend. I think this is your first time here. And if you didn't know, this is where Steve and I go to church. This is where we grew up. And so actually it used to be a building right down the street here. So this is where we grew up along with many of our friends and family and loved ones. And so we're happy to be here tonight. Can't we just take a moment right where we are? You can remain seated, but just please lift your hands, close your eyes, and just begin to honor the Lord in his presence here. Now, Mr. Soundman, if we can, I want to hear those keys moving all throughout the room. Let that sound fill the room and please bring them into my monitor. Just lift your hands, pray in the Holy Spirit all across the room. Steve is going to lead us in a simple worship song. And as he does, if you know the words, sing with us. If you don't, just continue to pray in the spirit. Your holy name 
your hands and sing it, Steve. Hallelujah. Every voice lifted, singing. Father, we thank you. We pray tonight, Lord, that your glory would rest on this building. That as we look to your word tonight, that you would cause us to humbly bow at what your word declares. Shatter mindsets. Destroy arguments and thoughts that would try to exalt themselves against and above the knowledge of God. We thank you for doing it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And all who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you, Steve and Ishmael. They're, they're going to hang out here on the platform uh, ready for when the Spirit begins to move. Now, those of you watching live, go ahead right now and click that little like, the little thumb sticking up. Click it. It's not just something we randomly ask you to do just because we want you to click it. What it actually does is it helps us to spread our reach all around the world. So as YouTube sees people liking it, it actually makes a big difference. So, And that goes for all of you here. If you're ever online, you see something from this church or from our ministry, give it a thumbs up. Even if you didn't watch it, just give it a thumbs up. You, you can watch it later, but I promise, by faith, say, I like this by faith. I know I'm going to love it. So, so make sure you do that. Share it with everybody. Well, I, I'm going to address something tonight. Could I please get more of my, my, the monitor, please? Uh, gentlemen in the back. How many appreciate the wonderful sound ministry that we have at the church? So let's just bring that up. That's great. Perfect. Thank you, Steve. Um, there's something I want to address because... Lord, help me word this. I want to talk to you about spiritual warfare tonight. And addressing this topic of spiritual warfare, I want to help to shatter certain superstitions and myths 
while at the same time showing you how to properly engage the enemy to where the enemy will be defeated in your life and in your home. Now, there's something interesting that happens with certain doctrines in the church. And you'll notice this happening over the years. Some of you who've uh, been in this longer than I have, you're more experienced, you're more seasoned. You can track certain doctrines at certain heights, at certain points in the Christian timeline. So there are certain seasons where certain subjects just kind of come to the forefront. And this may not be something that happens all across the church world, but certain pockets of Christianity will experience certain revivals of certain things. And this is what we use to, this is how we describe the moving of the Holy Spirit. Let's say, for example, the great awakenings that happened in the United States and then the revivals that took place in Africa, the underground church in China. There are different pockets of moves of God that happen all around the world. Now, what's interesting is that during this time of the pandemic, when things began to lock down all around the world, what began to happen was there was this revival with online ministries. I mean, a tremendous move of God that just really swept across the nations of the world. It was necessary for that time. It still is necessary for today. But I want to stand up here and very boldly declare this. And you may think it's actually not so self-serving because I'm an online ministry. But let me make this very clear, biblically speaking, and especially when you quote scriptures like Hebrews 10, 25, it becomes apparent that there is nothing that can replace the physical in-person gathering of the saints. Nothing. And I'm saying this to you as someone who experienced explosive growth during the pandemic. I mean, our ministry's reach multiplied and it probably grew online by about 600% within the first month of the pandemic. 600%. That means six times. So whatever we had, multiply it by six. That's where we are now. And that was a direct result of some of the dynamics that came about as a result of the pandemic. Now, there are positives to this. All of us have experienced heartache during the pandemic. All of us have experienced hardship during the pandemic. And I don't want to seem insensitive to those who had a hard time and are still struggling because of the effects. But there are some positive things too that took place. And one of the things that happened was there was this great sifting. You began to see who was really rooted in Christ. And who was just here kind of as a cultural uh, game they were playing just to be a part of some community. Now, I'm saying all that because I want to preface this subject of spiritual warfare by saying that there is a subculture that began to form during the pandemic with online ministries. And what began to happen is there was this merging. For example, off the topic of spiritual warfare, but as an example, the prophetic ministry which is a wonderful ministry that God uses around the world, just in general, the prophetic ministry in the church. I don't know if you've noticed this, maybe now that I say it, it'll kind of make sense, but the prophetic ministry actually began to become polluted by the culture of conspiracy theories. I'm just giving you the truth right now. Political conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories about 
the entertainment industry and about the music industry and so forth. Some truth to some of these things. But what began to happen is you had people prophesying, not according to what the Spirit of God was saying, but according to what the conspiracy theory trends were for that month. And it blew up in a lot of people's faces. Some of you know specifically what I'm talking about. But there was this pollution that happened because what happens is when you have isolation, you have pollution. And because we had on a large scale so many people living in fear and isolation, what began to happen is these doctrines began to merge with certain subcultures and it created whole new movements that produced unhealthy thinking doctrines and lifestyles in believers. And the same thing has happened in the area of spiritual warfare. Now, don't get me wrong. There have always been issues with spiritual warfare and deliverance teachings. And I'm going to cover that right now. But I want you to know that first and foremost, when approaching any subject, we must be rooted in the word of God, period. The word of God is the final authority. The word of God should show you how to run your business. The word of God should show you how to run your home. The word of God is the model for your marriage. The word of God is the model for how you raise your children. The word of God is the foundation upon which you should build your party and political preferences. The word of God is the final authority. And if you don't believe that, you're missing one of the main tenets of the Christian faith. I wasn't raised that way. I think this way. I want to do it differently. doesn't matter. What does the word say? So we must humbly come to the word of God on every subject and allow God to humble us, correct us, and cause us to conform to the word of God. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? It's the word. So I'm going to address some things tonight, and it's going to make some of you uncomfortable. Some of you will have no clue what I'm talking about. Some of you will be upset by what I say, but my goal is not to antagonize anyone. I'm not here to antagonize. I don't enjoy being antagonistic, but sometimes some of the things that need to be said can come across a little antagonistic. There are certain elements of spiritual warfare and deliverance ministries that because of isolation in the body of Christ have really gain some steam. These are spiritual warfare myths, spiritual warfare superstitions, teachings about spiritual warfare that are nowhere based in scripture, but based rather upon people's imaginations and their imaginations produce strange doctrines and those strange doctrines produce no fruit of the spirit. How do I know this? Because I used to teach a lot of these things. I used to, I'll tell you the way I used to cast devils out of people. Take me hours. And until I learned that if you're taking hours to cast devils out of people, it's because you're probably only spending minutes in prayer. When you should instead spend just a few minutes casting out devils because you're spending hours in prayer and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, so there's an issue there. How shall I say this? So when I began to first do it, I, I remember I, I was introduced to the idea of casting demons out of people by a man in the Midwest. He 
He, I went down the line. He taught me things. And I still remember to this day asking, where's that in the scripture? Because no, no, it's just something I learned while I, while I was traveling through the spirit realm. Okay, well, write it down. <laughs> and, and for a while, I, I embraced these things. And I saw a lot of people delivered. But it wasn't that they were delivered because of what I was doing. It was despite what I was doing. Okay, so for example, cast out a devil. Begin by asking the devil, what is your name? How did you get in? How many years ago? What are your hobbies? What's your favorite color? What are you doing later today? Church, you will never see a New Testament believer. You will never see Jesus holding a conversation with a demonic being like that. So I'm going to come down the line here and begin to show you how these are not founded in Scripture. Now, before I get a little too ahead of myself, I want to say there are a lot of great deliverance ministries in the world today. And there are a lot of great teachers on spiritual warfare. But be sure that what's being taught can always be pointed to in the Scripture. Always. Because especially when you're dealing with the demonic realm, you get into very, very, very strange doctrines. And the moment you go there, you start to lose your mind. And you will lose your mind, and it will manifest with many different red flags. So there are great deliverance ministries. I believe in demonic beings. I believe in spiritual warfare, as I'll explain in just a moment. But there are some red flags to look out for. Ask yourself if you have any of these issues. Um, first, elitism. You know, when people first began to correct my theology on spiritual warfare, I would say things like, well, you just don't know how to do it because you're not as spiritual as I am. Or you don't have any experience in deliverance. How many devils have you cast out? I've cast out hundreds. I've cast out thousands of devils. How many devils have you cast out? Elitism. The problem is that many people tie their identity into what they would call their spiritual warfare mentality. And, and they think that their identity is based on being a spiritual warfare warrior. So the moment you begin to attack these strange doctrines, what they begin to do is become defensive. Why? Not because they're defending the scripture, but because they're defending what they think makes them special. Did you hear what I said? They defend these things not because they think they're defending the word of God, but rather they're defending what they think makes them special. I, we're, we're spiritual special forces trained to handle demons. Really, I thought that was the Holy Ghost. I mean, I'm serious. It gets so far out there. Well, this one's a water demon. I'm, you, you see that reaction? You laugh, but this is what they teach. That's a water demon. That's a fire demon. That's an electric demon. I'm thinking, are you casting out devils or Pokemon? Because nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that there's water demons and electric demons and fire demons. It's just not in the scripture. So that's that first red flag, this elitism. Number two, when you hear talk about how, well, well, my church doesn't do deliverance and my pastor doesn't do deliverance like I do it. Really? I mean, think about this. Think about how the confirmation bias works. Because you don't cast them out the way I think you should, therefore you don't do deliverance. 
The question is, in the first place, is what you're doing even deliverance? You have experience, yes, but experience in what exactly? Having conversations with people who are having a mental breakdown? Basing your spirituality off the experiences of others rather than the word? It goes deep, guys. And right now, if you're watching, your first defense may be like, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about because he hasn't gone as... Remember, I feel like Paul who said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Guys, this is all I did. And I'm not saying we shouldn't cast devils out. I'm saying we should do it the biblical way. Be very careful about people who tell you to leave your church. Be very careful about people who flatter you and make you feel like you're more spiritual than your pastor simply because he doesn't participate in the weird rituals that you do and call it deliverance. Guys, I've seen demons come out of people. We were just in Texas. Boy comes up demon possessed, screaming his head off. You could see the boy was demonized. Didn't lay hands on him. You know why? Because it's in the power of the Holy Ghost. People watched as that devil came out of him. He fell on the floor, shook, screamed out loud, and then got up and started worshiping the Lord. It was instant. That's the way Jesus did it. And that's the way we ought to do it. So that's my little introduction, and I better get moving. Is this, is this clarifying some things for you here tonight? I'm not just standing up here criticizing people here. In fact, I don't believe in attacking people. Ne- you'll never hear me mention names. You'll hear me address points and truths. So number one, demons exist. We know this. James 2.19 teaches us at least that much that the demons exist and they tremble knowing that God exists. Number one, demons exist. Number two, demon possession is real. We see this in Mark, an example of this in Mark chapter 1, verses 32 through 34. Number three, demons can influence believers. Ephesians 6, 11 says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Number four, spiritual warfare should be a part of every believer's life. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. But Luke 10, 20 says something quite interesting. Jesus says, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Here's the problem. Deliverance is one of the expressions of the gospel. The problem comes when you begin to imagine that deliverance is the gospel. Dangerous. It would be like me emphasizing healing or prophecy and saying, unless you do this all the time and this is the focus of the ministry and this is on the forefront and you don't do it just like I do, you're not a real Christian. That doesn't sound like spiritual warfare. That sounds like a cult. Guys, I'm giving you the truth tonight. This is from the word of God. There are certain superstitions that religious thinking has produced in the body of Christ. See, here's the funny thing. The enemy will accuse others often of what he's actually doing. What's the big defense I used to use? Well, they're just religious. No, 
Religion is what says in order to be free, you have to go through all these steps. I mean, think about that. Religion is all about these steps and that step and this ritual and that ritual. Tell me your name. Get the name. Find out. I tell people all the time, when it comes to driving out demons, I don't need to know the devil's name. There's only one name that I need to know when bringing freedom to the captives, and that's the name of Jesus. Talk to me about how powerful all these demons are. Are you kidding me? There's no spirit more powerful than the Holy Spirit. And he drives out devils with force and power. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit coming in and struggling? The demon, they're fighting, little wrestling match, and the Holy Spirit says, oh, I couldn't do it. You didn't get his name. Sorry, the power in you to raise the dead. I get all that, but, but you don't know how he got in, so I can't get him out. I don't need to know how they got in. I just need to know that the Holy Spirit can get them out. So be careful. Be very careful because it's very convincing. And especially you watching online because I know there's a, when I, you know, you do spiritual warfare topics and of course it's going to show up all over your feed. They're listening. That's not a conspiracy theory. It'll show up. We see our immediate response is to defend it, defend it, defend it. Well, I heard or I experienced or so-and-so said, what does the Bible say? What I'm saying is simple. To drive out demons, you simply need the power of the Holy Ghost. Walk in cleanliness and holiness. And with the word, drive them out, period. That's it. That's all it takes. And it took me a while to learn that. But I grew out of the rituals. I grew out of the immaturity. I grew out of the religious thinking. When you have to force someone to go through things like that, you're basically saying that you're the deliverer. Because you're the one doing all the work. And again, watch out for that defense. Well, how many devils have you cast out? doesn't matter. Where does it say it in the word? What you're doing. So here's some myths we're going to address. Myth number one. And this is a big one. There's a lot of pushback. But I'm not going to stop saying it until the truth is known. Christians, myth number one. They say Christians can be demon-possessed. Interesting. Very interesting. And by the way, I've heard all the little nuggets they try to give you. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, brother David, why hath Satan filled your heart? Why did they stop there? Why hath Satan filled your heart to lie? It's an influence unto action. It's not possession. And by the way, if you think Ananias and Sapphira is an example of Christians being demon-possessed, then the bad news is that death, not deliverance, is the solution. Because Ananias and Sapphira were killed. Why didn't, why, why didn't they cast the devil out of them? You can't show me in the scripture, not once, you will never see a New Testament believer having to be delivered from a demonic being. In fact, it's not even in the language of the epistles. You'll never hear Paul the Apostle saying anything close to watch out lest you become possessed. Watch out lest they enter you. Every time you see a reference to demonic influence, it always has to do with deception, never possession. So for the believer, spiritual warfare is simply the fight to believe God's truth over the enemy's lies. The enemy can influence and affect the believer certainly. But it's through deception. And that deception, once it's believed, becomes the stronghold. If you read the scripture, stronghold is not a strong demon. 
oh, carrying down the stronghold. It's not a person. It's not a, it's not a being. Do you know what a stronghold is in the New Testament? A stronghold is a mindset. Do you know what the armor of God is? Shield of faith. You believe. Shoes of peace in your mind. Belt of truth that you know in your mind. The battle is in the mind. Now, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10.4. Is this blessing you tonight? We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Now here, you'll often notice, they'll say something, you, you probably heard this. Well, Christians can't be possessed, but Christians can be oppressed. You got it. But that's not in the Bible either. Do you realize that that word oppression was a term that was made up because it's an acknowledgement that Christians can't be possessed in the first place. It's a retreat in the face of truth. Oppression is just another word for possession. You cannot be owned by a demonic power to any degree. Ephesians 1.14 says, the spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own purchased possession his believers to the praise of his glory who do you belong to who do you belong to whose possession are you according to the scripture do you think he shares you i'm god's possession and at the same time a a demonic being possesses me it's not in the bible guys 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. In fact, the Bible makes a very clear distinction between who's in you and who's in the world. 1 John 4, 4, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people. But the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit Who lives in the world? It makes a distinction. There's a spirit in you and there's a spirit, the demonic spirits, that live in the world. They're not in you. That scripture makes it 100% clear that no demonic being, no spirit can take up residence in you. They say, well, what about Judas? Was he a Christian who became demon-possessed? No, Judas was never saved. This is before the work of the cross in the first place. And many Bible scholars actually note that he was just a wolf among sheep and never had any intention of truly following Christ. What about Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. That word in the original language simply means someone who comes against. He's basically saying you're coming against the plan of God. But nowhere does it say that Peter was therefore possessed by a demon and had to go through a three-hour session and have it cast out of him. I mean, the stretches that are made to force these things into place, it's, 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 guys, it's sad. And what I'm trying to show you is that you can be free from this superstition that produces nothing but fear. Isn't deliverance the children's bread? They reference Matthew 15, deliverance is for the children. He never says deliverance is for the children. What he was talking about there is the fact that he came for the Jew first and then he would come to the Gentile. That's it. But these doctrines that come about 
are, are, guys, they're from the new age. This is why I'm so passionate about it. You ever hear of the, the, the idea of a spiritual spouse? You know where that came from? From the new age. You see, and I'll give you a very simplified version of this because I don't want to glorify these teachings. It's a simple idea that there are certain points on your body that are tethered to certain parts of the world and that ultimately you're connected with the great force of the universe and that when you are intimate with someone that there's a tether in your soul that ties to them. Do you know why it's so hard to argue against these things? Because they're not even based in scripture. People just assert them. They literally just say them. Now, the scripture they tried to use for that one, 1 Corinthians 6.16, and don't you realize if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scripture says the two are united into one. Here, this is talking about the act of physical intimacy. This is not saying anywhere here that the people from your past have a tether tied to your soul and that you have to go through a ritual to sever that tether. You guys see the leaps that are made from these verses? Just giant leaps. I call this theological gymnastics. They have to work to get it to work for them. Now, there's a lot of examples like these that people will try to use to convince you. My point is you have to look at the scripture. And the same is true with this myth of Christians being demon-possessed. Should you watch out for your enemy? Yes. Can you be deceived? Yes. How do you break that deception? You fight it with the truth of God's word. Simple, 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 simple. Number two, myth number two. Christians can be cursed. Galatians 3.13 says, But Christ has received us from the cur- rescued us from the curse by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung upon a tree. Now, you'll hear about generational curses. Well, in my family line, drug addiction runs, and so it's a curse I have to break. No, no, see, here's the problem. You're trying to blame your family for your foolish decisions. This is why people want to believe these things, because they don't want to enact the discipline that it takes and the spiritual basics that they have to do. Rather, what they would want to do, they don't want to devote to prayer and the word and disciplining the flesh. They say, just lay hands on me, and if it doesn't go away, I'll blame you for not getting to the root of it, and I'll go on to the next session. Do I believe in generational curses? To a degree, in the Old Testament, speaking specifically of the Jews who would go back and forth in the wilderness, and God would curse certain aspects of their life. But we're redeemed from that curse, so that's not even applicable anymore. But, but oh, wait a minute. What, but, but, so, so, Pastor, some warlock, they're, they're praying against you. and So what? I'm just, a, I'm just as afraid of witches and warlocks praying to demons as I am of atheists praying to no one. Yeah, go talk to the devil about me. Go ahead. You can't curse what God has blessed. Now, generational choices, yeah. Generational consequences, yeah, like poverty, that's a consequence of decisions of former generations, which is why the Bible says the righteous leave an inheritance for their children. So that's, that's your choice. I just want every curse to be broken. I, I can't tell you how many times someone comes to me and it breaks my heart. They say, I just want every curse, every curse to be broken. 
And I want to tell them, you, you're not cursed. You're blessed and highly favored. You're a child of the Most High God. You're seated in heavenly places. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're the righteousness of Christ. And so what happens is people mistake their emotions that come about as a result of deception for curses. Oh, I feel this heaviness. Why do you feel the heaviness? Probably because you're believing a lie that's causing you to feel that way. And if you were set free from that deception, so would you also be free of that emotion. So the curse thing is something that people push, 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 push. You have to break the curses. You have to break the curse. And sadly, many people will tell you you can be cursed because they want to sell you an e-course on how you can break the curse. I'm being real with you guys tonight. This is the reality. You cannot be cursed. And anyone who's ever told you you can does not know the word of God. Period. And they don't know the power of the Holy Ghost. You have to weigh these things. Let me say, well, my family bloodline, my family bloodline. Whatever's in your family bloodline, the blood of Jesus broke. You understand? It's the blood of Jesus. So myth number one, Christians can be demon-possessed. You've seen some of the arguments and see how they actually fail on every point. You will never see an example of that in the New Testament. And anything that seems to indicate that, if you just do a little bit of research on that portion of Scripture, you'll find is not the truth. As if you can be an asymptomatic demoniac or something with no symptoms whatsoever. It's not true. Christians can be cursed. That's a myth. Myth number three, deliverance requires a long, drawn-out session. Luke 4.41, Mark 9.25, Matthew 8.16. Jesus drove them out, the Bible says, with a simple command. Well, didn't he ask for Legion's name? It was one time that Jesus asked one question, and the devil answered the question on its way out. Think about the fact that the Bible says they brought all who were sick, all who were demon-possessed, and he healed them all. Think about the thousands who would come. Do you think Jesus, with lines of thousands of people, was stopping at each individual and saying, but what happened when you were seven? What happened when you were 12? Tell me, walk me through this now. Now let's get the name. Let's fill out these forms. Never once. No, Jesus, with a simple command, was driving them out. Driving out demons with a simple command. Now, at this point, people will say, what about my experiences? This is where it gets a little deeper. Because you will find people who say, well, I was a Christian and I was possessed and what happened? Here's the reality. You ready? Looking to the scripture, we can only conclude two things. If someone who claims to be a Christian manifest as if they're demon-possessed, it's one of two things. Either they're not really demon-possessed or they're not really a Christian. It's only one of the two. I'm gonna, okay, can we go a little deeper here? If you've ever had OCD or anxiety, what begins to happen and I know this because I had severe anxiety and I didn't have to go through a session to get rid of it. I just started to believe the word. I'm telling you, I would have severe panic attacks. My Jess knows, we remember one time on our anniversary, we went to go have breakfast and I had a panic attack in the restaurant and the waitress was like, oh, I think you're just having a panic attack. I said, no, I'm dying. (laughs) 
Amanda knows too, because I call Steve. Steve, Steve, what was in the coffee? What was in the coffee? <laughs> I can laugh at it now because I'm free, but, but there was a, it, was a, it, was a, it was crippling. I mean, I'm telling you, panic attacks two to three times a day without fail. Two to three times a day. And what begins to happen is, here's how it works. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll be scrolling through a Facebook feed. And I'll see an article of a young man in his 30s who just dropped dead and had a heart attack. Guess what symptoms I'm going to start feeling (laughs) once I've read that article? I kid you not. I would read that article and my left side would begin to go numb. (laughs) My breathing would tighten. My vision would, I would have all the symptoms of a heart attack. If I read about a brain aneurysm, I would start feeling the symptoms. Physically, guys, it's a physiological response to a belief in something. So you get someone with OCD and anxiety sitting in a service and you tell them for three hours that a demon got into them. They probably didn't know, but maybe their grandma practiced witchcraft. Who knows? And maybe there's something that is inside of you and you never knew and that's why you're angry and that's why this and that and this and that. And they're sitting there for three hours hearing that they have a demon that they have to manifest, they have to vomit, which is not in the Bible either, into a trash can. Guys, I know, I know of a ministry, and it's nobody you know. There are not a known ministry. I'd never share this story if they were. This was back even before live stream was a thing. It was a ministry that took people to the mountains. We're talking drug addicts here, drug addicts and people with mental illnesses. They would take them to the mountains, and for three days, they would teach them that if you... That you have a demon. There's nothing you can do, but you have a demon for sure. That's a fact. They would drill that in their head. And the only way you know you're delivered is if you throw up every demon out. So you have to throw up for every one type of demon that's in you. They would lock them in the, in the church building, pull out trash cans, and nobody left until they were all delivered. It's sad. And so we have mild cases of this, yes, but it can always progress to that place. And so you get someone in a service who's dealing with anxiety and who's dealing with these issues and all you're telling them, you got a devil, you got a devil, you're going to start feeling shaking and your breathing's going to get tight and your hands are going to get sweaty and you're not going to be able to look at me. And you tell them that for three hours, guess what they're going to start feeling? When that person stands up and points their finger, you have a demon, I can see it. And that's when you get the bad theater. How come, how come a demon never told them about some ancient dig site or a technological advancement or something about the universe? Because they're not actually talking to devils. They're talking to people who are experiencing an emotional breakdown. And then after it's done, now they believe they're free. But wait, that's the truth, wasn't it, from the beginning? Now they believe they're free. And they think it was the session that set them free rather than the shift in their mindset. That's what happens. We were, we were in, um, I won't say that it was a different, uh, it was up north, further, further, like a, a different country. We were in Canada. We won't give the church away. Remember that, Steve? We're in Canada. We did a three and a half hour service. I'm done preaching. I go upstairs. They say, Pastor David, there's a demon manifesting you must come cast it out so i go up the stairs 
and I see 20 pastors standing around just praying in tongues super loud. And I'm watching this lady rolling around on the floor going, ah, just screaming her head off. So I go up to this lady. I pull up a chair like this. I sit down and I just watch her. I told everybody, stop, just stop, relax. Because they're hyping her up, you know. And I'm watching her. And she literally does it. She goes, ah, ah. Like she, a moment to kind of look at me and then go back to what she was doing. I leaned in. I said, I don't see a demon in you. The moment I said that, she stops, looks around, goes, what's wrong with me then? I said, you have anxiety and OCD, don't you? She goes, yes, and severely for years. And I'm not saying those are the two that always cause this manifestation. But I began to pray with her. I said, have you received the Lord as Savior? Yes. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes. I said, why do you think you have a demon? She said, well, they told me I did. I said, why did they tell you? She said, because I've been dealing with some mind battles. You, you want to you cause more trouble for people? Tell them something that isn't true like that. Tell them about an imaginary demon that they can never be rid of because they can never go through enough sessions to get rid of it. Damages people. Deeply, deeply damages people. And then they hold on to these experiences as if they're testimonies that validate something that isn't true. And they'll fight you. When I first wrote my book, and I'll finish up in a little bit. Is this okay, a few more minutes? I first wrote a book. I feel like those megachurch pastors sitting down and teaching. Um, (laughs) I first wrote the book on this, uh, 25 Truths About Demons and Spiritual Warfare. It was in 2015. It's when I said, God, I want to approach spiritual warfare like you do. And I, start, I started to read the scripture and the original language on these subjects. I said, God, I just want to learn spiritual warfare. And I began to find that nothing that I had been taught was in the Bible. It's an eye-opener. So I wrote this book. And there was articles that came out on it. You can still look it up today. And if you go look at the articles, there's nasty comments on there. Guys, I was getting letters, phone calls, and social media messages from pastors who were cussing me out. And I said, well, maybe Christians can be demon-possessed because these guys are changing, these guys are changing my theology. It was all the same. I've experienced. I've seen it firsthand. You don't know anything. How many devils have you cast? All the same stuff I used to say. pride. I'm the elite. I'm the special spiritual forces. How dare you challenge my... Again, they're holding on to what they think makes them special. The problem is, maybe you shouldn't build a ministry on lies in the first place. Because then you just have to be on the attack for the rest of your life. I have to address this because, again, it's something that's prevalent in the church. People think, according to New Ageism, and I'll make one more point. You have to be very careful because a lot of times they'll say, oh, this was an ex-psychic who taught us this. This was an ex-warlock who taught us this. This was an ex-witch, a former witch, a former warlock, a former psychic, a former New Age. And what the problem is is that they'll take the teachings of these former, former, former people who were in the spirit realms, and they'll take their teachings 
And they'll say, well, when I was a warlock or when I was a witch, we used to teach this. And they'll say, ah, there's some information on the enemy. And they teach the teachings of New Ageism and the occult and pass it off as spiritual warfare Bible teachings. Do you not think that the Bible tells us everything we need to know about engaging the enemy? What does Ephesians 6 say? Put on the whole armor of God, then what? You'll be able to stand against all the strategies of the enemy. Meaning, there's not a strategy that's not covered in Ephesians 6. There's not a strategy that's not covered in Ephesians 6. And what is Ephesians 6 all about? It's all about the fight for truth. How many of you are having, be honest with me, how many are having some mindsets challenged? Raise your hand. I know I had major mindsets challenged when I began to look at these things. And you online, be very careful. You online, go look at my spiritual warfare e-course and post that link everywhere there's spiritual warfare teachings on YouTube. We need to spread the truth because people are being bound further into lies. I guess the real altar call here tonight is simple. Lord, I want to elevate your word above all else. I want to elevate your word above all else. Help me to have discernment to watch for religious and even sometimes demonic doctrines that sneak into the church. And be very careful. Please be very careful. Please watch for that elitist mentality. That's how you know it's the red flag. Oh, they don't do it like I do. They don't have power like I do. They don't cast them out like I do. That is the sign that that person is not of the spirit of God. Be very careful and apply it to yourself too. Hands lifted. I know this was a heavy one. Hands lifted, eyes closed. Just say this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, help me. And you watching online too, say this. Say, Lord Jesus, help me to put your word as the highest standard. Protect me from deception. Protect me from pollution in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.